From the Financial Times in London, I'm Elaine Moore and this is FT News. After a year of fiery rhetoric, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un have agreed to a historic summit. No sitting US president has ever met with a leader from North Korea for fear of bestowing legitimacy and prestige on one of the world's most brutal dictatorships. North Korea has told the US it is willing to discuss the denuclearization of the Korean peninsula, although it has not yet laid out its conditions. So what brought these leaders to the table and will the meeting actually take place? On the line with me to discuss this is our correspondent in Seoul, Brian Harris, and in the studio is Dmitry Sevastopoli, who has covered North Korea for a number of years. Brian, let's first take a look at Mr. Kim's regime. He took power when his father died in 2011, and he's since consolidated his power in a rather brutal fashion. How has he done this? Yes, when Kim Jong-un took power, he was very much viewed as an unknown quantity. He was still in his 20s and practically untested. What we've seen since then is him essentially purge his regime of figures who might have questioned or challenged him. And in this pursuit, he has shown no remorse. He famously had his uncle executed for treason. And of course, last year had his half-brother Kim Jong-nam assassinated in Kuala Lumpur International Airport. There was little chance Kim Jong-nam would have ever challenged his brother's leadership of North Korea. But it just shows that Kim Jong-un is taking no chances. It's like a medieval court in that regard. And do we have any idea of how he's regarded by the people of North Korea? It, of course, is very difficult to perfectly assess, but the signals suggest he is a popular leader. Academics here in Seoul have done surveys on hundreds of defectors who have lived under his regime, and the results were surprising. Most viewed him positively. This is because his leadership is closely associated with economic reform. Despite the political crackdown, Kim Jong-un has pursued tentative economic reforms, such as permitting markets and de facto private enterprises. This has led to an uptick in wages and the quality of life in North Korea. These developments are closely associated with Kim Jong-un. He's clearly much more popular than his father, who oversaw a dreadful famine that killed hundreds of thousands. How big a role have sanctions played in bringing Mr. Kim to the negotiating table, do you think? Sanctions are clearly having an impact now, and much of that is because China, at least in recent months, appears to be playing hardball. North Korean exports to China have collapsed, and this has triggered a yawning trade deficit. So I think in the coming months, we're either going to see North Korea burn through its limited hard currency reserves or start reducing imports. I think the latter is more likely and potentially already happening. Both machinery imports, which include things like mobile phones and other basic goods, and cereal imports, which include rice, uh, they both dropped to zero in February. They are very worrying signs for the, the state of the North Korean economy under sanctions. Kim is clearly a calculating figure, so I wouldn't be surprised if his recent diplomatic overtures to the US were made with an eye on how sanctions could hit his country in the months ahead. But you must also remember he has geostrategic concerns. He is not sacrificing anything by sitting down at the negotiating table. And what is the state of the North Korean nuclear armory now? Do you think it's capable of hitting the US? North Korea's true capabilities are ambiguous, and I think Kim likes it that way. He hasn't crossed a red line, but has demonstrated that he has a few tricks up his sleeve. Estimates suggest North Korea has about 60 nuclear devices. Last year, it test-fired three long-range ballistic missiles. Now the question is, can North Korea equip those missiles with the nuclear devices? The only way to really know would be to conduct an atmospheric test. But again, that might be a big red line for the international community. Whether Kim can hit the US now is an open question, and I think he likes it that way. And what kind of deal with the US do you think that Kim will be looking for? Do you think that there's a real prospect that he could actually agree to give up his nuclear weapons? I don't think anyone believes Kim will give up his nuclear weapons. He might say that he will, but actually going through with it is an entirely different issue. Kim will be looking for sanctions relief. 
So I imagine what there might be will be a tentative agreement to hold missile tests in exchange for lifting sanctions. There are murmurs at the moment that Kim will present a roadmap to denuclearization, but I think that is him buying time. Remember, they're still developing their military capabilities as we speak. Events over and over in the Middle East have taught them the importance of self-defense. And Dimitri, I'm going to come to you. So isn't it incredibly risky for a US leader to meet somebody with the prior status of Mr. Kim? What will he need to take away from the meeting to justify it going ahead, do you think? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that critics say. People who say Donald Trump shouldn't meet Kim Jong-un say you're essentially giving legitimacy to a regime, to a brutal dictatorship that kills many, many of its people. On the other hand, North Korea is not a democracy. It's not as if the people of North Korea really believe that Kim Jong-un is treating them well and that it's a fantastic country and everything's going really smoothly. Whether Kim meets Donald Trump or not, people are still going to have the same economic conditions that they have. They're still going to suffer the same kind of persecutions that they've been suffering. So I'm not sure it really makes Kim Jong-un look any better or stronger in the eyes of his people. From the American side, you could say that the Bush administration and the Obama administration tried different things to try and put pressure on North Korea, at times to negotiate with North Korea. So far, nothing has worked and North Korea is now closer than it's ever been and possibly already at the point where it can hit America with a nuclear weapon. No American president or sitting American president has ever met a North Korean leader. The last serious meeting was between Madeleine Albright, who was then Secretary of State, who met Kim Jong-il, who was Kim Jong-un's father back in 2000. So Donald Trump is taking a big gamble, but some people would say, well, why not? Nothing else has worked. Maybe it is the time to take a big gamble. And unless you actually sit down face to face, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, you'll never know whether denuclearization is actually possible. And Mr. Trump is not the only one who's been arranging meetings. What do you make of the recent visit of CIA Director Mike Pompeo to Pyongyang to meet Kim Jong-un? Well, I think it tells you two things. First of all, the fact that Pompeo went there shows you that this is serious, that they are really preparing the groundwork for a summit between Trump and Kim. If they weren't, Pompeo wouldn't have gone all that way. Pompeo is now, as far as we know, the only Western official or senior Western official, I should say, to meet Kim Jong-un. I think the head of the Olympic Committee met him recently. But in terms of someone who deals with security issues or foreign policy, no one in the West has met Kim. So that's important. The other thing is that Pompeo is probably the closest confidant that Donald Trump has in his national security team. If you remember recently, Rex Tillerson was fired as Secretary of State and Pompeo is going to replace him once he's confirmed by the US Senate. But he is someone that people believe is close to Donald Trump. And if he passes a message to Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un is almost certainly like to believe that this is what Trump is saying. Whereas if you sent someone else who was less close to Trump, like Tillerson, if he was still here, you know, Kim might think, well, it's all very well for Tillerson to say this, but is this really Donald Trump speaking? So I think it's a sign of the seriousness on the American side and the fact that Kim Jong-un was willing to meet Pompeo shows that he is also serious about this meeting with Donald Trump. What about the role of some of the other regional countries? China has been an ally of North Korea's in the past. What role is it playing in the run-up to these negotiations, if any at all? Well, many of the countries who took part in what were previously known as the six-party talks have a stake in this. I mean, the whole world has a stake, but in terms of the direct negotiations, the South Koreans and the North Koreans are technically still at war. There hasn't been a peace treaty since the war that ended temporarily with an armistice in 1953. So, you know, the South Koreans and the North Koreans, both sides would like to get some kind of a peace deal. But the question is, on what terms and what does that mean? 
The Chinese are getting increasingly frustrated about Kim Jong-un and North Korea and the kind of nuclear provocations and intercontinental ballistic tests that he's been conducting over the last couple of years. And they are worried about Kim Jong-un going so far with provocations that the Americans launch a strike on North Korea that would potentially spark a massive retaliation from North Korea towards Seoul and eventually escalate into a mini regional conflict and perhaps a broader regional conflict. So China wants to sort the situation out somehow. Its greatest concern is that if a deal is done and eventually the Korean Peninsula is united and North and South Korea come together the way West and East Germany did, that you could have American troops, which are currently in South Korea, closer to the border with China. And so one of the things China will almost certainly be saying to North Korea is, if you come up with some kind of a grand bargain or a big deal, one of the things that has to happen is US troops have to get off the Korean Peninsula. So different people have different stakes. The Japanese are very concerned about a number of Japanese who were allegedly abducted by North Korea in recent decades, and they want to either get these people back or if they've died to essentially see their remains and bring them home to Japan. And that's an issue for the Japanese. But ultimately, all of the countries involved would like to get to a point where North Korea is not an immediate threat to the world, because right now it's destabilizing the region. And finally, the question I think that a lot of the world will be asking about this summit is, what do you think the prospects are that North Korea would agree to a denuclearization? One of the interesting things about North Korea is that most of the people who've been studying the country, whether it's CIA analysts or people at think tanks, have very entrenched views. And so, again, people who say Trump shouldn't meet Kim Jong-un are unlikely to change their mind. And people who say negotiations are the only way to go are unlikely to be swayed by the opposite camp. But I think you know, one of the big questions is, is Kim Jong-un really interested in giving up all of his nuclear weapons? Or is he just stalling for time and these negotiations are a way to buy more time so that he can continue developing his program and getting to a point where he can very quickly demonstrate that he can actually hit America with a nuclear weapon, which right now he hasn't really demonstrated. So that's one concern. Others say that, again, this is a big gamble, but it's possible that if a grand bargain could be created, that it is possible that Kim Jong-un might decide to give up all of his weapons. But I think the number of people who believe that is very, very small. North Korea has long had this goal in mind. They are basically at the finishing line if they haven't crossed it already. So the question is, unless they really believe that Donald Trump is going to strike North Korea, some kind of a missile test or even broader military action, are they willing to give up what is really their only defense against America? And many people will say, well, there's no way they'll give it up because once they give it up, America can strike them at any point. They'll have no way to prevent America from taking broader military action. So I think there are very few people who think Kim will go the whole way and give up everything, and that really what he's trying to do is to be accepted as a nuclear state and get some kind of a freeze-for-freeze situation where the Americans say, okay, we understand that you are a nuclear power, but don't proliferate, don't develop any more weapons. And the question is, would he agree to that? Until they actually sit down and start real negotiations, we won't know, but I think there's an awful lot of sceptics out there. Dimitri and Brian, thank you very much. And don't forget that you can read more about this story at ft.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams 
who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.